When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is Bo from the Rock Savages podcast, and you're listening to The Hook Rocks. Everybody, it's Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the Ultimate Rock Community Podcast. Hope you're doing well, staying safe, staying healthy, taking your vitamin D, and trying to keep a smile on your face. I know it's pretty tough right now because there's a lot going on. But as we always do, we offer an escape for you with some rock and roll commentary, some great interviews, some new bands to spotlight. And that's what we're doing again today. From Virginia, a band that I have been listening to nonstop over the past week. And that is the band Southern Governor. And we have Patrick and Stacy Galinas, the singer and bass player. Patrick's the singer, Stacy's the bass player of this great new band. What's going on, guys? How you doing? Oh, pretty good. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Thank you very much for doing this. I've been just rocking out to you guys ever since I discovered you guys I I was sent your music and uh, it's just been I've been just in awe ever since so thank you again for coming on the show and talking some rock music with us oh yeah man well we appreciate you having us so as we start every interview every time we have a first time guest the same way with the same question. It's the essence of the podcast, The Hook Rocks. Just like every rock song has a hook that sucks you in, every rock fan has a moment, whether it's a band, a song, an album, or performance. What hooked you on rock and roll? Uh, there's a lot of a lot of moments like that, but uh, I think probably the biggest defining moment would probably be... Uh, one night we were kind of sitting around and we ran across this uh, documentary on CMT. Uh, it was a Southern rock documentary featuring uh, Leonard Skinner and 
Allman Brothers and Marshall Tucker, like all the big Southern rock bands. And uh, that really kind of grabbed a hold of us. And then I would say it's kind of a toss up between that because that was kind of the defining moment when we kind of decided, well, that's we really like that. Like that's kind of what we want to do and be and stuff. Um, but then later that year, I'd say probably about six months later or so, we uh, actually got to go see Leonard Skinner. They came to one of the uh, local uh, fairgrounds. It was kind of like a once-in-a-lifetime kind of thing. They just happened to have a show canceled, and they were in between dates, and so this fairground booked them. So we, our first concert was Leonard Skinner, and it was kind of cool because um, we all three brothers got to go see it. What year was that? Uh, 2007, I think. Something like that. Yeah. So we had, uh, we've been playing guitar since uh, probably about 2005 or six. Um, but uh, kind of one of the things where it kind of took a while to grab a hold of of us. I guess it kind of found us. We didn't really find it. You know. Isn't that always the case though with everyone's rock and roll story? Is <laughs> you know they it, it you kind of happen upon it. And you are, you know, you discover it. Like you said, it finds you, you know, I mean, it's not like when you're younger, you're looking for rock and roll, you know, rock and roll just, it's kind of like a lightning bolt just kind of zaps you. And then all of a sudden you're hooked. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we were always into uh, like working on cars and, you know, just regular normal stuff. And we played, we played guitar some, but it was kind of like just something to do you know take a few lessons here and there and from there just kind of snowballed and uh kind of morphed into something a lot more serious now being that you're all brothers i imagine your experiences are very similar in you know what you discovered you guys mentioned you know you saw leonard skinner the first time back in 2007 around there was it all of you guys you know just kind of taking a by rock and roll at the very same moment or was it different for each of you guys? No, I mean, I think it was pretty much all of us at the same time. Cause I mean, we all live together. And so we're always close anyways. Um, Cause you know, some brothers kind of, I don't know, some families don't really see each other that much. You know what I mean? Unless for some specific holidays or something, but I guess partially cause we were so young, um, we hadn't moved out or anything like that. Um, so we were around each other and it's just, you know, I might play a Skinner record or something and everybody's practically listening to it because we're all around each other, you know. Um, so it kind of grabbed us all at the same time. What was the moment where you guys wanted to pursue music by being in a band? Um, I don't know if I really remember that exact moment, do you? Not really. It was more just kind of we start. We was taking lessons from a guy, and he was like starting up. He called it the Rock Room, and he basically takes all his students and like put them into a band. And we just did that for a while, and we just kind of took it from there, and it we just never stopped. What about writing music? I mean, was there a song in particular that made you guys realize, hey, you know, we can write stuff like that? You know, we're playing our instruments. We want to be on stage. We can write music. We can write songs like the ones you're enjoying or like the ones that connected with you. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, in the beginning, I think 
I don't know how many people actually write real good songs. Um, I mean, I, you do hear a lot about certain rock bands will write a lot of their hits when they're, you know, first starting out. Um, but I don't know if there was any particular song that kind of made us feel that way, but it's just kind of been like a slow grind up into where we're at now. We're just now within the last few years, I feel like really writing songs that we don't have to do a lot of producing, like as written, they're already most of the way there. You know what I mean? Um, but it's just been kind of a progression of that. Plus we, we cut our teeth in bars for many, many years just playing covers. But, uh, I think probably when we were first learning how to play and kind of playing with each other, um, we had like a guitar, we, all three of us were guitar players. So when we first started, we actually had like a singer and a bass player and a drummer. And it was kind of, it's hard to find people our age that were kind of with the same mindset. Cause it, usually a lot of people that play Southern rock or something were that kind of traditional classic rock or whatever, generally older people. Um, so there wasn't a lot of people our age from our area that was wanting to play stuff like that. Um, so that was kind of a challenge and that's kind of how we pretty much have morphed and involved into a three piece now where, you know, each of us has their own inner, like own instrument and everything. But, uh, we all started out playing guitar. And so, I mean, we wanted to be a three guitar band like Leonard Skinner and stuff, but you know, it's just kind of tough to do that. But, um, getting back to your question, when we first started playing, we were kind of like, coming up with our own riffs and stuff and by all means they probably weren't that great but it's kind of as we worked on it we started learning like Leonard Skinner songs and stuff by like tablature and listening to records and stuff and that's kind of how we honed our our skills and like writing abilities and stuff because you know some of them old Skinner songs and um, Molly Hatchet you know all that stuff that stuff can be pretty intricate stuff to learn yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the fact that you guys are all around the same age and you're brothers and you're all doing the same thing, your journey's all the same, it's all going in one direction, that's pretty unique, right? I mean, because not a lot of bands have that dynamic to be brothers. I mean, there's been bands in the past that have been siblings and you know, some people have loved playing with their brothers. Other people, you know, have not loved playing with their brothers. You know, um, what is that experience like as you as you guys are all growing and evolving as musicians, being in the band together? What is that, you know, like feeding off each other and knowing that you guys are kind of all you know, carrying the same influences? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the big thing. Like, um, some bands, like, you might have one guy that's into one specific type of music, and then you might have four of the other members might kind of like that, but they're usually got their own taste in music. Like, for us, we all kind of meet up with that Skinner stuff. Like, each member might like a little something different, but the core um, influences are the same for all three of us. So I think that really helps out. Um, because I mean, we didn't really set out to sound like a Southern rock band. It's just kind of when we write songs, that's what they sound like. So it's like, and it's just your influences, um, showing through. But I mean, being brothers, uh, there's a certain 
sense of like I don't guess you have to really talk about a lot of stuff. You just kind of do it. Um, but uh, which I mean, there's some bands that are really close or grown up together that you know it's kind of the same way. But um, so I mean, I think it works in our advantage for sure. Yeah, it's just it, it is interesting. You know, I mean, I think about the band Goodbye June, and I had Tyler Baker on a few months back and he talked and he plays with his two cousins and they have, a, they have a very unique story too as well. And they're almost like brothers, you know, so they, I mean, they kind of grew up playing with each other and playing the music that they both liked or all three of them liked. And, and here they are now as a band, you know, I mean, it's not, they're not siblings, but they're pretty much as, as close as you can get. And I think about how he talked about, they all had their same, you know, the journey kind of in the same direction. You know, and it's just a very unique story they have, similar to yours. What you know, was it always about being with your with each other and, and, and playing, you know, as siblings, or was there ever any interest in doing something else with one of you guys, or has it all just been one cohesive unit from the very beginning? I think it's all pretty much just been a cohesive unit from the beginning because I mean, uh, it just kind of happened so naturally, I guess, because it, it's not really like we really sat down and discussed it because it's like what Stacy was saying when we were playing guitar um, and we were taking lessons and whatnot we were taught pretty much the basics and then when it kind of got to being where you know you start learning more of the advanced stuff on how to play guitar or whatever and just kind of all that goes along with that then is when it was kind of like the choice was like well do you want to do it or you not want to do it and we all just kind of chose to keep playing guitar Um, and so from there it just kind of progressed and progressed and then probably as we played like our first couple shows i mean that's when it kind of solidified itself for sure because i mean you know um playing live is probably the best thing as a band you could do yeah i mean the more you guys play the more synergy you develop between each other and you know cutting your teeth and you know the local bar scene or club scene in the area is always beneficial to a new band coming up i mean you're you're always evolving as an artist, as I mentioned, and there's no better way to do that than just get out and play. Yeah, and I think probably going back to like what I said, when we had other members and stuff, it was like a constant battle, which I, I mean, I love everybody that's been in our band before, um, but it was always us three in the start. Like in the beginning, it was us three, and then, like I said, we we got some more musicians to play with, and, you know, we did, we were playing a lot of Skinner songs and just covers and it just kind of got to the point where like we had done it you know what I mean obviously we weren't the biggest band in the area or anything but it was it was kind of coming to the point to where well do you want to play covers for the rest of your life or do you want to just go on and do original because I mean unless you're in like a tribute band or something you're not really going to go anywhere um playing covers I guess and it's got to be satisfying as an artist when you're developing your own music and you're playing your own tunes. You know, I, I have I know a lot of great local musicians here in Chicago, and they're pretty much all in cover bands. Yeah, and, I mean, they're great one. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 nice, you know, for someone to go out and hear familiar music when they're out on a Friday Saturday night, but for a musician playing guitar or singing it's got to be fun don't get me wrong but after a while it's kind of 
got to be more like a business. I mean, you're not really playing anything that you developed on your own. And it's maybe not artistically satisfying, you know, maybe financially, because some of these cover bands get a lot of money. But when you're writing your own music and you're developing your craft, it's definitely way more, way more of a, of a solid, you know, basically, you know, you're, you're benefiting from what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, that's a good point. Cause I mean, there's a lot of great, great people and musicians from our area and they've been playing music together for years and years. And I mean, they have their own little following of people from the area. Like if one, one guitar player happens to join a new band, well, that band just added like 200 people to their freaking, you know, that'll come out to their shows and just support them. And so, and that's cool. But I think, yeah, musically for us, it was just, it was satisfying, but it wasn't like, we always wanted to be like Skinner or like a big band like that, where you're, you're touring and you're putting out music and stuff like that. And it kind of got to a point to where it was a little bit of a rough stretch there because when we first became an original band, I feel like, I don't want to say we started over because we really didn't, but a lot of people that was coming to shows just kind of quit coming to shows because obviously they weren't, we weren't playing the music they wanted to hear. So that can be a, like what you said, a lot of those cover bands, shoot, they make way more money than original bands like us. But, uh, you know, unless you're in like a big tribute band, but then there's a, there's all kinds of competition with tribute bands. Cause you know, there can, every state's probably got like a Led Zeppelin tribute band or a Skinner tribute band or something. And there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think that's really cool. But uh, to be an original band and go somewhere, it's probably about the hardest thing you can do, in my opinion. It is, definitely. I've covered this topic before on this podcast about how cover bands really stop and really, and really you know, make a local rock scene very difficult to thrive. You know, an original rock scene difficult to thrive. And it's because, you know, people want to hear something that's familiar but the crazy thing is, is that here in Chicago, there's some cover bands that actually play to a track, you know, and it's just amazing. You know, I'll be at these festivals and I, and I, you know, I've grown up around music and I, you know, I've lived with a rock band. I've been in basically into music for, you know, 40 years. And I know immediately when a band's playing to a track and I'm just like, they're a cover band. They're not playing their own music. And they're not even playing up there. It's like, and people are just eating it up like, you know, a bowl full of chocolate. And it's like, I can't believe it. I don't understand it. Yeah, I don't, I don't get into that either. I mean, of course, I don't know. We have a hard enough time playing our own stuff, let alone to like, I don't see how they can play the track. Some of them big bands, man, they, they have a quick track going and it starts the show off and ends the show. And if you get off of it, you're screwed. So I, I definitely don't think I could ever do that, but, um, shoot, some of them, I think a lot of those bigger country bands and stuff I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, but I have heard where now with the digital, the digital modding, like guitar amps and stuff they have out, some of those big country acts and like pop acts and stuff, the guitar players don't even get to pick their amp. They obviously can pick their guitar. And then a lot of times their freaking amps are run through the Pro Tools rig and the amp channels and amps change per the song. It's crazy stuff that you can do nowadays. Yeah, it's unfortunate. You know, I come from the school of 
you know, watching live music and watching the rawness and hearing the mistakes and all that stuff, right? I mean, that's part of a live show. That's what it makes it so great. And there's a lot of, I'd like to say newer acts that are doing this, but there's a lot of legacy acts that are playing to a track now that are, you know, when it's, you know, I remember seeing some of these bands when I was in my 20s and they sound better now in my 40s and there's only one (laughs) way to do that, right? Um, yeah, you know, really, really. And, and when you see you know a local cover band and you see the the laptop, you know, behind the speakers and stuff or behind the drum kit, you're like, ah, you know, something's going on. They're they're making it sound better than it really should sound. And I kind of I don't like where that's going. I know people like Eddie Trunk talk about that a lot. You know, playing the tracks or having the background vocals piped in. It's unfortunate that bands feel they have to do that in order to get people to their shows when in in actuality they have to trust themselves. They have to trust their, you know, their musicianship and you know I don't know if it's what the crowd expects. Like I don't go to a a concert expecting to hear exactly what I hear on the album. I mean, that's just not how I was raised in rock and roll. So there's yeah. going yeah there's going to be those mistakes there's going to be that rawness I think that's part that makes live music so incredible is that experience and when it sounds like it's a CD playing it's like all right I didn't come to see this you know what what are your thoughts on that Yeah I I agree cuz I mean I think a lot of that has got to do with budgets and I don't know the way the majority of music is made nowadays is on computers anyways. And it's so easy to go in and auto tune a bunch of background vocals. So they sound good and stack them and make them sound as, as big as the Beatles or something. And then also layer tons and tons of guitar tracks on, which is great. And it sounds great to listen to. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, in order to produce that live to the to the caliber of the recording, it's almost impossible to do that unless you hire two or three guitar players, which some of those bigger bands, they'll, they'll, they will tour with, you know, multiple guitar players or, um, an acoustic guitar player, backup singers or whatever have you. But, uh, I think that playing the tracks is a way to make your live show a little bit closer to the recording. If you can't do it live, like how you recorded it, but that's kind of like our biggest thing where i mean what we record if it gets too heavy or too much down into like we know we can't produce it live then we won't do it we'll scrap it like because i mean there's been many times where i've tracked several guitar parts or whatever um and it might sound good but then in the back of your mind you're thinking well how is it going to sound when we got to play the song live is it going to just kind of fall on his face because that's the biggest problem like if somebody listens to your music and then when they go to see you live, they're, they're, there's already an explanation, like a, they're already knowing what the song's going to sound like. And if you don't sound anywhere close to that, then you pretty much failed. And so that's why a lot of artists, I guess, do a lot of the backing tracks to kind of fill it up. Um, but we don't do that. I mean, we, we just try to keep it as simple as possible, um, make it as big as possible, but do it in a way to where we can still play it live. So if we can't play it live, then we won't do it. Have we come to the point where the audience expects to hear 
what they hear when they're streaming the music or listening to the music at home? I mean, that's the real question, right? I mean, you know, because, you know, when you, when I hear Led Zeppelin bootlegs from the seventies, it doesn't sound anything like the album. I mean, of course you recognize the song, but it doesn't sound clean. It sounds raw. It sounds pure. Right. And I love that stuff. So yeah, is the new audience, the new generation that's going to rock shows, the younger generation, are they expecting to hear exactly what they hear on the CD? I mean, I guess that's a, that's an interesting question of how perception has changed maybe. Yeah, I think it's definitely, I think it's probably more of a subconscious thing to where, because if you figure like most of the modern acts these days, I mean, is there even a guitar in a lot of those pop songs and stuff? It's all usually just techno beats and cool bass stuff. I mean, I, I love pop music, but at the same time, pretty much if you go to see any of a, like a big pop artist, it's going to sound pretty close to the recording. Cause I mean, that's, that's what it is. You know what I mean? So, but I think that, uh, there are some people that still appreciate like live rock and roll. Um, and I think it's starting to make a pretty big resurgence in that aspect. But, uh, yeah, there was definitely a time probably like, I don't know what the eighties and stuff with a lot of the hair bands that stuff. That's when things started sounding really produced sounding. I feel like, and then, you know, grunge came along and kind of just started back, you know, tore everything back down to where it's just simple freaking loud guitars and vocals and stuff like that. Big drums. But, uh, I think it kind of goes in phases, but I think there is definitely a, a large portion of people that don't, even really think about that you know what i mean i think they figure what they hear on the record is what's really happening but it's not really the case you know some of those bands from the 80s really knew their instruments really well i mean a lot of those guys i mean in terms of musicianship in my opinion you know the the some of those bands in the 80s were far advanced than the grunge bands i mean when i think of you know nirvana and their musicianship compared to, you know, like a, like a, you know, like a Joe Satriani or like even like a Cinderella or some of those bands. I mean, those guys in Cinderella, you know, they may be classified as a glam band or some people call them a hair band, but they really have a lot of Southern soul in their music. And, and when you listen to some of their stuff, if, if they were in a different era, if they were 10 years earlier in the seventies, they would not be called a glam band, but you listen to their stuff on their albums and it's pretty close to Southern rock. You know, I mean, they've got a lot of really good songs. Tom Kiefer, his two new solo albums that he's released are very, very good. And then grunge was a different type of vibe. Grunge was more, you know, the anti rock star, the, you know, more of the, uh, of the introspective, the thoughts, you know, the thought process of, you know, political stuff or social stuff. And, it was just a different vibe, but both eras offer something to music fans, I believe. Yeah, and I mean, we've played with Tom Kiefer uh, twice now, I believe, on both of his album cycles. And yeah, what you said, I mean, those guys, like, it's the same way as like the those classic bands from the 70s, like Skinner and Led Zeppelin and all those bands were just emulating their heroes from, you know, a decade before. Um, 
And that's kind of what was happening in the 80s, too. It, was, it sounded a little different, but at the same time, it was not too far from inner, you know what I mean? Because a lot of those hair bands and stuff were influenced by, like, Led Zeppelin and Skinner and, like, all those big touring bands in the 70s. Absolutely. Absolutely. The debut album is out. It uh, is a phenomenal, phenomenal record. Uh, it's called It's My Time. What was the collaborative process, recording process for your debut album? Yeah, so um, the debut album we put out uh, quite a few years ago. Um, and what we did was is we went to Kentucky, to Glasgow, Kentucky, and recorded in a little studio in Glasgow, Glasgow, Kentucky with Chris Robertson of the band Blackstone Cherry. Um, he's a lead singer and guitar player. Yeah, absolutely. He, uh, he produced the record for us and uh, we went down with probably, I don't know, maybe 13 songs or something like that. I think it was like 12 or 13 songs. Yeah, we went down with about 12 or 13 songs and came out with nine songs that Honestly, when we went down, what we went down with and came out with are so miles apart. Like, I would really say that record changed the way we sound and kind of the whole direction of the band into more of what you hear now. Um, and it, a lot of that's got to do with Chris because we're big Black and Cherry fans and they're big heroes of ours and stuff as well. So it was a cool process getting to play with Chris or record with Chris. And, uh, of course he played some on the record too. And, uh, but yeah, man, um, that album is like a really good representation of what we are. And then the new single Memphis train is kind of a, more of a representation of like the three piece, um, that we are now and kind of where we're headed. It's a little bit more stripped down, but it's more, I would say it's a little bit rawer. It's not necessarily as stripped down, but uh, it still takes with what we had on It's My Time and then just kind of moves it into a little bit more of the right direction for us. Explain that evolution. I mean, you talk about, you know, recording the debut album into, you know, Memphis Train now. What was that like? How was that, you know, how did you guys evolve in terms of pushing yourself and writing music? I'll take care of you. Um, so what we pretty much like knew unless we worked with Chris or somebody like that again, cause it, it's nice to have a producer, um, to be like that extra person on the outside looking in. Um, so we spent many, many years just playing shows and just kind of, you know, honing our craft to speak. But, uh, when we were writing newer songs, we always knew that if we couldn't write a song that sounded as good as what we came out produced wise on it's my time, then we needed to keep working on it. And so that was kind of the process to where there was a lot of stuff that happened between now and then. Um, at the time when we recorded it's my time, uh, Stacy was actually playing guitar and we actually had a bass player. So it was actually a two guitar band at the time. So that's why it sounds you hear both mine and Stacy's parts and it's really, really heavy. There's dual guitar solos on it. I mean, it's really cool, but, uh, we decided to go as a three piece band just because it was all, all of us being brothers and stuff. And it's going back to, it's kind of hard to find people that were with the same mindset that we were. And 
I mean, there's tons of people that love to play music, but it's kind of hard to find people that can commit a life to playing music as well. Um, that's a big thing to do. Um, but Memphis Train kind of, it's not necessarily the best new song we have yet. Um, we thought it was the best thing to release as a single at the moment. But uh, we, we just wanted to make sure that what we wrote was better, as good if not better, than what the whole It's My Time record is, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I love the song Memphis Train. I love the video. Uh, it's a great tune. You could totally hear the Southern rock influences, but it's got a modern sound too as well. It's almost like Southern rock meets kind of grunge, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. You know, because I hear a lot of that stuff, and then you hear the Marshall Tucker band, you hear Skinnerd, you hear Molly Hatchet, and then you hear elements of like Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. It's really, really unique. Yeah, I mean, those are all big influences of ours. I mean, we love Southern rock, but we don't just really stop at Southern rock, too. I mean, we're big Foo Fighters fans and all the grunge bands, like all that stuff's cool. And so, which I mean, we don't want to sound like anybody else either. But, uh, I mean, we just kind of do our own thing and, um, it's produced by us. So obviously it's not going to have like any outside influence from anybody as well. Um, cause we struggled cause we thought about trying to get a producer involved, but at the end of the day, we kind of felt like what the song was, we, we just kind of threw everything we had at it. Just, I think when we actually recorded the real version, cause we demoed the song twice. Um, and we just changed the one little part we added like a little kind of turnaround bridge part right before the solo and it kind of opened it up a little bit but aside from that from what the song was like actually demoed as and recorded uh, there ain't much difference what is the future in terms of music i mean you mentioned that you guys debated whether or not this was the best song you guys had uh, of new songs so that means you guys got more what's the what's the story with that yeah so we've been pretty much just like aside from touring which we haven't done a lot of touring but we, in between playing shows and stuff we're always writing and we have our own little recording set up here at the house um where we were where we practice and everything so we've demoed at least about 15 or 20 decent songs i mean there's some better ones out of that and some are just probably more of just album songs or we'll revamp them or something but uh we do definitely have enough to do a record um and we were just kind of stockpiling them because we wanted to you know do another the album we put out we wanted to do a lot better than what it's my time was because we put it's my time out obviously we had chris involved with it which was cool but uh, it really didn't go too far for us. You know what I mean? We didn't have a whole lot of press behind the album. Um, so this time around, we wanted to make sure we had everything, you know, all of our ducks in a row and make sure that when we release it, that it can have its best, you know, going forward. Um, and so, but yeah, I mean, I think Memphis Train has got a really cool hooky, sound to it it's more of like a radio styled song but it's definitely still like a classic sounded song um we felt it had the best hook for radio um and it was pretty much like we could we recorded it pretty much almost live we played with a click but it's you know pretty stripped down um so moving forward 
we have one other song we recorded that uh, might come out before the end of the year. If not, it'd probably be the first of next year when it comes out. It's a little bit more aggressive sounding, more on the, uh, I guess, hard rock side, um, which kind of showcases both sides of our band, I guess. Um, Memphis Train's more classic rock sounding. And then the other song we recorded, it's more on the heavier sound. And, and uh, But we're definitely going to do another record. Um, we have the songs. It's just a matter of, getting in the studio and, you know, knocking them out. Has the pandemic hurt you guys creative, you know, your, your creative process? I would say it hasn't really hurt our creative process. What it's kind of done is we, I mean, we don't play a lot of shows. We want to get more on the doing a lot more touring, which it can be kind of hard nowadays, but, uh, we had more time to do what we needed to do and write and just kind of plan stuff out. So it can be kind of hard to get in the studio and do a good recording and kind of manage that. And then also manage like practicing and making sure that your live show is as tight as it needs to be. Um, we're not one of the bands where we book a show and then practice the week before the show and then call it good. Like we'll practice, you know, three or four times a week for a month or two before we play the show. Uh, preferably um, if the time allows it but at the same time it can kind of we always felt like we were a little bit under the gun trying to get recording stuff done and then trying to get live stuff done at the same time and juggling the two can be a little bit of a challenge but uh, I would say the best thing coming out of the pandemic was just the ability to kind of sit back and plan things out write some music and just kind of enjoy ourselves a little bit um and do some stuff we haven't got to do before. Because it's interesting, because I talk to a lot of different bands, you know, on this platform, on this pad, on this podcast, and it's different with everybody. A lot of people have said, yeah, my creative process is just like before. In fact, I'm creating more. I've got more time to write, more time to focus on what I'm doing. Then others are kind of like, eh, you know, it's hard to be creative when you're doing the same thing every day. You're not doing much. You're not experiencing life. So it's really tough to tap into my creativity. A lot of other bands have said, hey, you know, we've got so many songs written. We've got enough for like a couple of albums, you know. So it's different how people react to the circumstances that surround us right now. It's Yeah, I think uh, for us, like, when we put out, we tracked the drums to Memphis train in March. And that was kind of like right before the pandemic really hit, it was kind of building up. I think the day we recorded drums, somebody had said while we were at the studio that the, I don't know, the NBA or whatever, it shut down their whole season. And looking back on it, I mean, obviously we know all know what happened, but just the thought of that, that day was just ridiculous. You know what I mean? Like we didn't know what was about to happen, but, um, it's crazy because we, we tracked the drums that day in March and then, I don't know, throughout, it took probably about maybe two two months to finish the actual uh, song and then it took a, a good while to get it mixed and mastered. That was probably like the biggest process was probably the getting the mix right and the master and all the artwork and all the stuff that kind of goes behind goes on behind the scenes of releasing something new. So, um, I mean, I'm not glad that the pandemic happened by any means but 
Um, if you had to take a positive out of it, I would say if we would have had a lot of shows going on at that time, it might have been a little bit harder to try to get the song done and out to the people as quick as we did. Because um, we kind of, the song was more of just kind of like we knew we had the song and we wanted to just start putting some new stuff out. Because um, we were just sitting on stuff, just kind of waiting for somebody to call, you know, like um, that classic story where they tell you, oh, yeah, you know, so-and-so's band got discovered playing in a bar and now they're on a record label and they're out on tour. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's kind of what we were hoping to have. But I don't know. I think in 2020 and this day and age, I'm not saying that it probably couldn't happen, but I think you kind of got to get it, you know, do as much work as you can to get to that point. And that's kind of what we're doing. We're putting, putting new music out and hopefully it does as well as it can. Because it's an interesting time, as we all know, and you know, no one really knows what the future holds or when live music is going to be played again. I mean, I know there's pockets around the country that have had festivals and you know, kind of acoustic gigs, smaller gigs, and you know, at, at smaller clubs. But in terms of it being prevalent again, in terms of it being a normal event that occurs. We still don't know what's going to happen in 2021. We know 2020 pretty much is done. We have two months left, basically. And then it's on to another year, in, in a new year. And unfortunately, it looks like a lot of what we experienced in 2020 is going to carry over into 2021. And for how long, we don't know. How are you guys anticipating what's next for Southern Governor? Well, and see, I think that's the hardest predicament for us right now is to kind of figure out what is the exact best thing to do. Because, like, obviously, if you put a record out, you want to tour on the record and sell. I mean, you can sell records online and stuff, but it's not the same as having an actual album release party and going out and meeting people and playing the record on the road. And I think, and plus, you get a lot of press behind putting something new out so you can get on bigger shows and stuff because you got a lot of momentum behind you and so i mean i feel bad in a, in a lot of ways for bands that did just put a record out in march or whatever and then they couldn't tour on it because there's a lot of bands that kind of depend on playing live to get compensated for all of the expenses that goes into it because i mean we we had a set budget that we were trying to go with for just memphis train and we've pretty much blown that um, so, I mean, it's crazy the amount of money that it takes to do stuff like this. And so I think probably moving forward, we're just going to put another single out until maybe things kind of calm down. And we're obviously going to be recording a record, but I think the biggest question is when it's going to come out. Cause we would really like to do it right and have a big party, you know, release party and do a tour behind it. And, you know, all of the, you know, regular stuff that you would normally do, but, uh, but, I mean, there has been some bands that's putting records out. I mean, Tyler Bryant just put a great record out, what was it, Friday? Um, and they had, like, a whole digital release behind it and, like, a digital show dedicated to it. Um, and that's kind of a cool concept, concept too, but I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of hit or miss at the moment, you know? But uh, we've had some shows lined up this year, but uh, when it got to the point where it really looked like it was going to happen, it ended up canceling, so... Um, cause we had thought about trying to book some shows 
even if it was just like a few, uh, just to kind of push the release of Memphis train, but it just never really worked itself out. And we're not the band that likes to cancel shows unless we absolutely have to. If somebody's like really sick or something and can't play. I mean, we'll cancel then, but, um, we don't really like canceling shows. So we haven't really tried to book anything except for just, like I said, a handful that was mainly offered to us. We never really sought out to play shows. Um, but like I said, they've all gotten canceled and who knows what's going to happen come next year. I'm hoping, you know, next summer, at least things will be back to normal to where you can actually play some shows, you know? We are all hoping that, right? I mean, I go to about 20 to 30 shows per year and I have not been to a show since last November. Um, and it's been, it's been frustrating, you know, for someone that actively goes to concerts and sees bands, it's been something that's been missing a big hole this whole year. And I can just imagine on your side, you know, what it's like to not feed off a crowd or not play your music in front of people and get that, you know, that, that, uh, you know, the energy from the crowd and, and feel that. And it's, it sucks. It does. Right. And I know that there's a lot of bands. You mentioned Tyler Bryant just released a great album a couple weeks ago. And the Struts just came out with a, a new album. I know uh, South of Eden, which is a band from Columbus that we've showcased here on the show a couple times. They just released an EP, kind of like a teaser. That's what's going to be on their debut album. But it's been a common theme about people pushing back their records. Tuck Smith, new band, you know, I don't, you know, if you're familiar with him, he pushed his back to 2021. It just seems like everyone's pushing everything back. And I think more albums are going to be coming out over the next six months because, you know, they don't want to hang on to this, you know, this material anymore. They got to get it out. But I do think, yeah, yeah, I do think as, as I thought for 2020, which I thought was going to have an explosion for rock music, I think that's actually going to happen for 2021 because I think there's, I think people are sitting on a lot of material. I think there's a lot of albums that have been postponed. I think people are writing a lot of material. And I think the youth of today is experiencing that anger and angst because they're doing the same thing every day. And rock and roll thrives on that angst and anger. And I think it's a recipe for success. You know, kind of like a perfect storm, if you will, for rock music in terms of being relevant again and, and, and being connected to the youth of today. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of bands like Foo Fighters. I think they were supposed to have a new record out this year, and they pro- postponed it till probably next year, I guess. Um, and then, but there's also some bands that are releasing records. So, I mean, ACDC is getting ready to put one out in what November or something like that. Yeah. But I mean, a band like that can put a record out, not tour off of it, and not have any issues, or wait and tour a couple years later on the record and stuff like you know if you're pretty established I don't think it's as, as big a deal in that regard but I do know that I mean the whole music industry itself has taken such a big hit because you know just the tour bus drivers they're not out there doing half of what they used to do um, just the people that worked in crews and stuff like obviously bands are sitting at home not able to tour but they can still kind of do live streams it's not the same it sucks but i mean at least you still can play but a lot of those people that works in the industry they can't do nothing right now and that's what sucks but uh 
not to mention the music venues. A lot of those music venues, they're, they're either shut down or if they are open, they got to spend so much money for, you know, all the extra guidelines they have to follow by. And if they don't follow them, then, you know, they get fined and all that crazy stuff. And then even if you do all that stuff, right, then they're only allowed to have half of the people that they would normally have. It's like a lot of those businesses, like venues and stuff, they can't just open up and have half of their, you know, normal audience and keep still keep their business open, you know? So it's kind of a, everybody's kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place right now. And unfortunately some of those businesses and bands are going under because of it, of no fault to their own. And so I think right now, definitely moving into next year, we're going to have to start playing more. I mean, I don't know if, how long people can go without having music, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting time. You know, you mentioned about the theaters and the clubs that are smaller. I mean, they're not these big, you know, amphitheaters or arenas or stadiums where, you know, they can survive, but the smaller clubs in these communities are not going to make it. And we just read some bad news this past week where there's not going to be a stimulus package passed before the election, which a lot of people were hoping for. A lot of these venues were hoping for because all that was in the new bill. And for whatever reason, once again, you know, the leaders of our country can't get their shit together and people are suffering. Uh, and, you know, it's not just, you know, when people think of these clubs and in, in, in these theaters, it's not just, you know, the, the owner of that club or, or, you know, small theater, it's the employees, it's the people that work behind the bar, the people that serve the food. It's the communities around that. It's the restaurants that people go to before the show in those areas that are suffering. It's, you know the 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 vendors, the beer vendors, the the food vendors mm-hmm. that supply those places with what they need, they're suffering. So it's a trickle down effect. It's not just you know when people say, oh, you know, no big deal if a if a theater's going to shut down and some something else will pop up. That's that's such a narrow minded viewpoint of what it actually does to a community. And you know when you think of bands too as well, you know, I mean some of these guys are going back to work right now because they have to, they got to pay bills. You mentioned the, the, the guys behind the stage, right? The roadies, the techs, the, you know, the, the sound guys, I mean, what are they doing? They don't have any, so they got to go back. So are those people going to come back when people start touring? If if they just landed a good job that they can't walk away from. So it really is, you know, a lot deeper once you start peeling back the orange of what's really going on. And it's a shame that, Right now, none of these places are going to get any aid or any help with what's happened because you also have the the notion you mentioned all those great points, you know when you when you spoke about that, Patrick. But on the on the crowd sides too as well. There's also the person like myself who is going to be nervous going to a show. We haven't, you know, I don't know if you've experienced when you see someone cough now in public, everybody turns around and like looks at the person like, you know, like, well, dude, what are you doing? You know, how many, how many, how many COVID cough related fights are going to break out in, you know, in clubs and, and, and theaters when someone's standing behind you and they start coughing and they don't cover their mouth. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how everybody reacts. Yeah, and I've been seeing a lot of bands have been doing, like, the drive-in shows and stuff, and that's not bad. I mean, obviously, 
you know, it's going to, nothing's going to really come close to playing live in front of people, you know? And I mean, I feel like we'll eventually get back to that. Um, but I mean, I, I do see a lot of the driving concerts or like the pod style concerts happening. So, I mean, I think if more of those pop up, that'd be good. But, uh, the thing I don't particularly care for is like doing the online shows. Those are cool. But, uh, you know, obviously if you play an online show, which I, I have seen a couple bands do like a pay-per-view online show. So, I mean, that's kind of cool where it's, it's a little bit kind of like playing an actual show, you know, but, uh, I don't know. As far as just like streaming on online, playing your set, once you've done it once and you've done it, you know what I mean? Unless you got like a bunch of new songs or whatever, it can kind of be kind of hard to keep it interesting. Like when you're on tour, you're playing to a different crowd every day. Um, so it keeps it interesting. So it's just kind of a weird situation to be in right now, but, um, we're hopeful that it'll get back to normal soon. We can get back out playing shows again, but, uh, until until that happens, we'll we'll be here writing songs and recording and doing what we usually do. But it's uh, definitely unique. The song is Memphis Train. The band is Southern Governor. Great sound. If you like Southern rock, if you like grunge, if you like those two eras joined together, you're going to like Southern Governor. Just a tremendous band, a tremendous song. Again, Memphis Train is the new song. Patrick and Stacy, thank you very much for joining me today. I do appreciate it. Yeah, we appreciate you having us on. Yeah, thank you. Once again, everybody, that's Patrick and Stacy Galinas from the band Southern Governor. I'm Jay Scott. This is the Hook Rocks, the ultimate rock community podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy, and we will talk again soon. Thank you. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 